the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. On AM860, the answer. Thinking about healthcare these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor. And he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, Tampa Bay. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD. And we're coming at you on WGUL 860AM. And you can also reach me worldwide on the web, 860-WGUL.com. That's 860-WGUL.com. Click Listen Live in the in the toolbar, and you'll have me in your ears. And I'm in everybody's ears. We're international now. we got Canadian fans, Brazilian fans, and we even have a fan from Orlando today. So I'm going to welcome to the show in a minute after I give you a little background on what the show's about, Mr. John Casey, who is uh, with a group called SSRC, and they're doing investigation into climactic changes and the weather and volcanoes and hurricanes and all that kind of cool stuff. Today I'm going to talk about a topic that's not very popular, and that is global cooling, the belief by some scientists that we are entering a colder era, not a warmer era, and that the effect of the CO2 that we are releasing by burning carbon fuel, oil, gas, uh, coal, is uh, turning our planet into a hothouse and that we're heating the planet up. So Mr. Casey's going to be with us, and I want to tell you guys that the show is directed, as most of you know who listen, we stay with one topic for the week and I will ask a couple of questions during the show. And if you can answer them, you get a $25 gift certificate. Gift certificate. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Mr. John L. Casey. John, are you there, buddy? Good morning, Dr. Bill. Thanks for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Glad to have you. Guy. Now, I'm looking at your uh, your credits here, and it says you're, you were with NASA, with a private contractor for NASA, and that you... Uh, gave advice to the White House, and I'm assuming that's George W. Bush. Uh, Is that... that was both administrations, George H.W. and George W. Bush. Very good. So you're a connected guy. That's pretty cool. Now, what, what, are, your, what are your credits, your backgrounds? What's your area of expertise? Well, the uh, ones you're referring to go back a ways to uh, when I was providing space program advice, and uh, that included being a consultant to NASA headquarters, being involved with the Challenger accident investigation, uh, running uh, uh, companies under contract to NASA, 
doing uh, commercial spaceport uh, design work around the world, looking at the space station for safety issues. But that was uh, some time ago. Most of the uh, work I've been doing since 2007 has been in uh, climate research. Uh, the Space and Science Research Corporation here in Orlando is a uh, loosely connected group of scientists around the world who are trying to alert their various countries that global warming ended years ago, and we really need to be preparing for a new potentially dangerous cold climate that has already started. Well, um, I'm all for a cold climate. That'll slow the Russians down for a while anyway. We'll cover them in a couple of feet of uh, ice and we should be able to have a little better working relationship, especially Florida. You know, they can come join us down here if they can behave. So I want to know, though, you're an engineer by background. Is that what I understand? Space shuttle engineer uh, during the early 80s and uh, degrees in physics and math and management and uh, uh, nearly 40 years of experience both in uh, missile radar systems, uh, space shuttle, and lots of other things. But uh, again, since 07, most of the work I've been doing is in climate research. It sounds like you were a professional student, my friend. You have how many degrees there? <laughs> I couldn't count them all. Oh, my God. So if we're cooling down and we're still releasing more CO2 into the atmosphere, uh, how's this working? How, what, what is causing this cool down of the planet? rather than a heating up from the, the greenhouse effect of carbon dioxide? Well, I certainly understand the question. I get it often during the many speaking engagements I have. And uh, fundamentally, it's uh, we're dealing with uh, now 25 years of propaganda on whether CO2 has an impact, and if so, how much. The, the bottom line science is that the uh, greenhouse gas theory has always been a weak, ineffective theory and we now know after billions of dollars and, again, 25 years of research that the greenhouse gas theory and, and mankind's production of CO2 has essentially little to do with climate variation on the planet, certainly uh, little to nothing to do with any major climate change that we're now going through. And uh, I understand that that's your, uh, your theory. Now, how do you back this up, what, what is it that you measure in terms of uh, hard factual data that we can turn to and say, well, see, he's right, Casey knows, he's done X, Y, and Z. Do you measure our distance from the sun, the rotation of our earth axis, uh, the amount of actual atmospheric CO2? I'm, I'm going to guess that it's not as high. Uh, probably it's higher at the surface because CO2 is heavier than oxygen and nitrogen. So I, I don't see how it's going to cause a greenhouse effect if it's the, the heaviest molecule in the atmosphere, and it's falling well below oxygen and nitrogen, which are the two majors. So what, do you, what parameters are you looking at? Well, uh, again, we don't even look at CO2 because it's so ineffective a causative effect on climate variation. What we do look at at the SSRC are 24 different real substantial climate parameters that tell us uh, which way the climate is going. Our global climate status report that we publish every quarter details all of the uh, 24 parameters as well as giving a 
prediction for the future. Uh, for example, if you look at the 24 parameters, they cover solar activity, which is the number one uh, subject area, sea levels and sea level rate of change, polar temperatures, glacial and sea ice, uh, global oceanic temperatures, and global atmospheric temperatures. All of these are the most fundamental basic means of determining whether we're in a global warming, global cooling, or a neutral status. And right now, of the 24 parameters, 18 show global cooling. So a very strong, positive global cooling trend has set in. And getting back to your, your question, uh, why should anyone believe me as opposed to the supposed thousands of scientists at the UN that have been doing this research for 20 years? Well, we now know, after looking at all their research, that they're, they're simply wrong in all their estimates. Their predictions, their global climate models are simply wrong. They just don't work. And that's not a surprise because, again, the greenhouse gas theory has always been an unreliable theory. So when you compare actual observations with what's happening with the climate uh, and the global temperature curves in these various parameters, you see that uh, all of these uh, UN reports, including our own U.S. government, uh, telling us that mankind's CO2 is driving the climate, we find out that's simply not the case. Well, the you know, I, 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 believe, I believe you, John. Now, you say the sun is the main thing, so give us a little thumbnail of how the sun affects our, our uh, warming and cooling cycles. Well, the sun, like uh, everyone knows, is a... Uh, a vast source of energy that warms the entire planet and much of the solar system. And if you study the sun and study the cycles of uh, heating uh, from the sun, if you will, uh, it one finds out that on a very predictable basis, uh, climate is fairly regular. We know that there are a number of specific cycles that the sun goes through that cause the Earth to warm and cool. I guess everyone learned in high school about the 116, 120-year, I'm sorry, 120,000-year ice age cycle and how we've had a number of those over the eons past. Well, there are many smaller cycles as well. Uh, one doesn't have to wait to the next ice age cycle to verify that the sun is controlling climate. My relational cycle theory is a... Uh, valid, proven replacement of the greenhouse gas theory. Uh, the relational cycle theory tells us there is a, a family of cycles, 200 years or less, that really control most climate variations that we can actually relate to or experience, hence the term relational cycle theory. Right now, the 206-year solar cycle has reversed from its past warming period and it's now going into a cold period. So it's really cycles of the sun that are driving yeah. our climate. Now, is it our distance from the sun, or is it actually the sun uh, is producing more and less uh, radiant energy? Uh, and what, what actually happens with the sun in relation to the Earth? It is, a it is the latter. We are seeing a dramatic reduction in energy output from the sun right now. And again, this happens every 206 years. So uh, what happens when the sun cuts back on its energy output by which it warms the earth? Well, we get colder. It's that simple.
And you also, you also, I think, have related some of the seismic activity, volcanoes and earthquakes, uh, to sun activity, or did I misread that? No, that's quite true. Uh, myself and other geologists have uh, shown very clearly that there is a, a strong correlation between these solar hibernation periods and uh, major earthquakes and volcanoes. The last time this... Uh, 206-year uh, cycle produced a solar hibernation. We had the worst ever series of earthquakes on the planet right here in the U.S., south of St. Louis. And we also had the largest ever recorded volcanic eruption, all at the bottom of this last coal period, this last solar hibernation, which was from 1793 to 1830. Uh, folks, if, if you miss that, uh, what Doc Casey is telling us is that uh, the great earthquake called uh, the, the New, Mad, New Madrid earthquake or the New Madrid fault uh, actually runs pretty much up and down the Mississippi River. And this was the largest earthquake in uh, United States history. Now, I'm not saying the largest earthquake ever. Obviously, if Yellowstone blows, that's a whole other story. But this earthquake was actually felt uh, in Philadelphia. Toronto, uh, of course, in Kentucky and Tennessee, and it actually reversed uh, the sent a tsunami basically up the Mississippi. And one of the things it did, uh, among other things, is it formed the Real Foot Lake, which is in northwestern Tennessee. And when you drive through that area, you feel for a while like you're on a plane going down towards the Mississippi River. And then all of a sudden you have these massive hills, steep, deep up and down valleys that you drive through, and that's the the wrinkling of the earth, like you would take a piece of paper and wrinkle it up, and that's the crust of the earth that wrinkled up. So this is, uh, this is an activity that Doc Casey feels is related to the sun and may very well be. So we'll continue along this line for a while and see what else we can pick out of the good guy here. Uh, now, the, the cycles of the sun, I understand that. That makes perfect sense. So the sun has more and less activity. I'm going to assume that this is because the sun is not completely symmetrical. It's not a, a perfect uh, circle. It, it has uh, more dense and less dense parts of, of it as well. There are many aspects of uh, what's causing the sun to do what it does, uh, including its shape. You mentioned the... Uh, uh, the larger cycles, uh, the planets that uh, revolve around the sun uh, also affect the sun and cause the sun to shift its uh, position as the center of the uh, solar system. Not by much, but uh, enough to where it fundamentally affects these major ice age cycles when combined with the uh, rotation and tilt of the axis and so forth. The um, the cycles are, in fact, the predominant ones uh, that, that guide our climate change. And based on that discovery I made back in uh, April and May of 07, I made a number of predictions. And this gets back again to uh, whether anyone should believe what I'm saying versus the uh, great and powerful United Nations <laughs> and our U.S. government. The a host of, or the, the list of cycle uh, variations created a list of major climate predictions. Uh, this uh, list of predictions uh, have all now come to pass. 
uh, Such the seven as? years. Well, I predicted the end of global warming. I predicted the start of a new cold era. I predicted that the Earth's atmospheres and oceans would be cooling. Um, and some some other related predictions. Uh, this record is now, uh, according to Dr. Rich Swire, who uh, wrote it up in watchdogwire.com uh, last year, is probably the best record of prediction of any climate researcher in the U.S. Now, it's not just me. It's the fact that we're studying solar cycles. Anyone yeah. that's in solar physics studying solar cycles will always out-predict uh, with uh, far greater accuracy what the U.N. and the U.S. government is telling us based on the greenhouse gas theory. Why use a theory that doesn't work, the greenhouse gas theory, when you've got a theory that's 90% accurate? And that's the one that we use with uh, the Space and Science Research Corporation. Well, it, it makes sense to me. And if you think about it, guys, uh, if you line up all the planets in a row, uh, you've got a lot of mass that uh, has gravitational pull that can affect the sun and shift the sun around. The sun basically is a, a, a cauldron of uh, uh, liquid and plasma, so it, it does have the ability to uh, reshape itself a little bit and move around it. And we know that, that an object spinning around an orbit does have an effect on what it's spinning around. And you can do this yourself. Just take a little something that weighs, uh, you know, like a nut or a bolt, put it on a string, go out in the yard, and swing it around your head, and you'll notice that your body is rocking a little bit. And the same effect happens with the sun. It happens with the moon and our own planet. Uh, we, we actually wobble just a little bit as the moon rotates around us, and that's because of that, that, that spinning around uh, it's called the, I think there's a name for it. You're the physicist, but uh, I think it's uh, conservation of angular momentum. Is that, do I have that right, That's John? right, and it causes us to want to come back to a center point all the time. We, we swing one side, then we swing back to the other. The other, yep. Uh, and you, you have these effects. Now, these effects uh, are over roughly 22,000 years or 41,000 years and then you have the Ice Age cycle at 120,000 years. So these are very long cycles, but they, they fundamentally affect uh, what parts of the planet are cool or warm over long periods of time. And, and that uh, is really, to, to me, because I'm looking at carbon dioxide as something that essentially weighs more than oxygen or nitrogen, and it's going to fall in the atmosphere. You know, we think of the atmosphere as nothing being there, but basically it's a real thin soup, and the soup does separate out. And we see this with uh, storms. We see water rise up because it's lighter and then condense into a heavier mass and fall through the nitrogen and the oxygen down to earth, hurricanes. And we see cold fronts that are uh, very dense in, in air, much more air in that, much more oxygen and nitrogen. And that will actually push a, a warm front, uh, a lighter air mass out of the way. And that's Part of the reason we have the weather cycles that we have is because of the differential in the weight of the different gases in our atmosphere, just like in, 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 uh, in water. You know, you got cold water, you turn on the hot tap, and initially it's not going to go to the bottom. You have to stir it up a little bit. Everybody's done that in the bathtub. You want to get it mixed up. It's too, too cool, so you turn on the hot, but you got to stir it. The same thing, only... We aren't really aware of the atmosphere until something happens, like rain. So I, I get that. I get that. That makes sense. And I understand the sun 
and its effect on us. And of course, that's tremendous. I mean, you, you can't deny the sun. It's, uh, you know, it, it's got more gravity than all the planets put together. So it, it can pull on all of us. Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Earth. Now, we got that part, Doc. So what's the next major contributing factor besides the, the sun cycles? Well, certainly our own uh, climate system here on Earth is uh, far more complex than the UN and the U.S. government had ever uh, thought it would be. We have oh, oceanic tough, yeah. trends, atmospheric trends, the uh, relationship between the heating of the tropics and the cooling of the poles. All of these uh, factors contribute to a highly complex uh, system. But when you determine whether a climate change is in place, it all boils down to temperatures over a long period of time. And that's why when you look at the solar cycles, you see they're almost identically overlap. Global temperatures and solar cycles are almost one-to-one. -one. You lay the temperature curve over the solar activity curve, typically measured by sunspots, by the way. And you see that it's essentially a one-to-one -one relationship. So, again, it, it shows without question that the sun is driving our climate variations. If you look at the, the, the CO2 again, the CO2 component by mankind is absolutely minuscule. Let me give you a, a short breakdown. If you look at all the greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, they make up only 1% of total atmospheric gas. Uh, and I think Dr. John was saying that the, that the greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide make up a very small portion of the, uh, of the atmosphere. Uh, nitrogen makes up about 78 to 80 percent, oxygen 20 to 21 percent, and then the rest of that uh, less than 1 percent is made up of carbon dioxide, water, and a few other uh, trace things that we have put into the atmosphere or that Mother Nature has put into the atmosphere. And that in and of itself is so minuscule uh, in, in John Casey's view that it's uh, not significant. Now, of course, we have to stop and consider where is all this carbon dioxide that we're producing? Where is it going? Because obviously it's not uh, enough to have affected us. Uh, carbon dioxide is a poison. If we breathe nothing but carbon dioxide or even increased levels of carbon dioxide along with oxygen, uh, we will eventually become comatose and will die because it, it blocks our body's normal respiratory abilities. So the carbon dioxide is important. Uh, we need to know where is it going. This is a tremendous amount of carbon dioxide. It looks like at this point that it's, it's going into the ocean. And you say, well, how the heck does that work? Well, the carbon dioxide and water, as the rain falls, uh, they are transformed into weak acids, uh, and these are deposited in the earth or dropped directly into the ocean. And the ocean then buffers all of this with uh, minerals like calcium. And you say, what's calcium got to do with it? Well, you know, Tums and, you know, a lot of these uh, uh, anti-acids like Gaviscon and Maalox and Mylanta, they have carbon and also magnesium, and these elements are able to pick up some of the extra uh, electrons and the protons because an acid is something that will give off one uh, proton, and that's a hydrogen atom with no electron around it. So that will uh, be taken up in the ocean combined with the carbon or the magnesium or the different salts that are in the crust of the earth and also at the bottom of the earth, 
and this will be buffered. And you say, well, how does that affect us? Well, atmospherically, it doesn't look like it has as much effect as we thought it did. But in the ocean, that might be a different story. If we change the pH of the ocean, and it looks like it's been changing over the past one to 200 years since we started tracking it, and it's getting more acidic because of carbon dioxide, water, and the chemical processes that go on that convert this into an organic acid. Organic meaning that it's got carbon in it. We define organic life as carbon-based life forms. You and I are made up mostly of carbon. So this is the other concern that we have, and we'll have to uh, we'll have to see what Doc Casey has to say about that in, in uh, just a few minutes. And I'm going to run and see a man about a horse, Chris. So play us a little music on the way out. Stay where you are. I'll be right back with Dr. John Casey. Get more of what you're here for. Join the answer seekers at am860theanswer.com. You'll have inside access to the latest news, contests, offers, and special events. And as a club member, your voice will be heard loud and clear. We'll let you know about exclusive opportunities only for answer seekers, including birthday gifts. Happy birthday to you, baby, when you join the Answer Seekers Club today at am860theanswer.com. Dennis Prager here, and in a recent speech to the United States Congress, Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu used one of the most prominent platforms in the world to cast a clear vision to lawmakers for a more stable Middle East. Citing Israel's past and future relationship with the U.S., Netanyahu brought to a culmination a drama that has stirred Israeli-American relations with this powerful message. Israel does not stand alone. I know that America stands with Israel. I know that you stand with Israel. You stand with Israel because you know that the story of Israel is not only the story of the Jewish people, but of the human spirit. This year, you too can stand with Israel while enjoying a trip of a lifetime. I invite you to travel with me to the land of Israel this November for nine exciting days, all in the safety and comfort of first-class accommodations. Visit am860theanswer.com and enter the keyword Israel. That's am860theanswer.com, keyword Israel. In the Declaration of Independence, the founders say it's self-evident that God created man and gave him rights that other men can't take away. Dave Perkins. I've pointed this out numerous times to smart people that I like and trust who don't happen to believe the God story. I have yet to get from any of those people a rational alternative explanation, if self-evident truth isn't true, for why they have rights. This is Dave Perkins. Meet you here bright and early Sunday morning at 5 on AM860, The Answer. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Secretary of State Kerry and Iran's foreign minister are meeting for the second time today with just two days left before their latest deadline for a comprehensive nuclear pact. 
Polling stations in Greece are open for a few more hours as voters decide whether to accept creditors' proposals for more austerity in exchange for rescue loans or default and reject the deal, possibly leaving the EU. A series of U.S.-led coalition aircraft have slammed ISIS positions in the extremist de facto capital of Raqqa in eastern Syria today. Ten militants were killed in 16 strikes. And Kentucky authorities say two people have been killed. Three remain missing after the pontoon boat they were riding in hit the Clark Memorial Bridge and capsized in the Ohio River. Three of the nine people on board uh, the, uh, when the accident happened. This is SRN News. Today will be a mix of clouds and sun with a couple of thunderstorms around this afternoon. Today's high will be 91. Expect an evening thunderstorm. Otherwise, tonight will be partly cloudy. Tonight's low will be 77. Tomorrow and Tuesday, partly sunny with a couple of showers and a thunderstorm. The high on Monday, 91. The high on Tuesday, 90. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Sally Sherman on AM860. The answer. You're listening to an encore presentation of Dr. Bill, your radio MD on AM860. The answer. And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD. We're talking about global cooling. Believe it or not, it's getting colder. And with us today is John Casey, who's with an institution over in Orlando that's doing research on the global cooling on sun cycles. And the uh, the name of his organization is the SSRC Foundation. John, are you still there, buddy? Still here. Oh, thank God. I thought I'd lost you. <laughs> um, I, I, I couldn't hear you going out to the commercial, so I was rambling and carrying on like I usually do. And my audience loves that. They think I'm smart, but only because I get guys like you on, actually. So we were talking about other things than the sun, uh, and then I was talking about CO2 when I thought I had lost you. So what else do we need to look at? What 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 are the other parameters, the other big one than the sun, uh, that we need to look at? And, the, of course, the natural cycle of the Earth's atmospheric changes and the weather that becomes uh, – comes in place because of that. Well, it's important to consider uh, a basic definition of climate change, which is fundamentally a long-term variation in the Earth's atmospheric temperatures. We can boil it down to something that uh, that's straightforward. Whether it's produced by the sun or uh, ocean variations or polar temperatures or tropical temperatures or or uh, sea levels or so forth, all of these various parameters contribute to what ultimately is nothing more than the temperature of the atmosphere. What Leading, kind of uh, variations are we talking about in temperature of the atmosphere? Uh, if It doesn't take much. Uh, good question. If one goes back in history and examines the variations that have uh, temperature variations between uh, warm periods uh, like the one we just finished, and uh, little ice ages or major ice ages, very small temperature variation is all it takes. 1.5 degrees uh, global temperature average uh, centigrade will get us back to where we were in that last solar hibernation, 1793 to 1830. And uh, it was so cold, by the way, that much of the world's crops were damaged by the cold weather. Um, historian John D. Post called the last 
solar hibernation, uh, the lo world's last great subsistence crisis where many people starved to death and froze to death. Um, if you go back even further, uh, two times the 206-year cycle, then you're back in the uh, 1700s when it was bitter cold, so cold that the Baltic Sea was frozen over much of the year. The Thames River froze over. There were instances of the Mississippi being frozen over much longer than normal. And in fact, the, the Baltic Sea was so cold for so long that uh, hotels and roadways were built over the frozen ice. People could walk between countries. The Thames River in London stayed frozen over for so long and was so thick that they had frost fairs and festivals out on the ice. So uh, these were very cold periods, to say the least. Uh, New York Harbor was frozen over. You could walk between the islands. Uh, you didn't need a boat to get around. So, uh, and by the way, that's what the Russian scientists, my colleagues at the Russian Academy of Sciences are saying, is that we're actually starting a new little ice age this year. But again, it doesn't take much temperature variation uh, to cause a uh, warm period or a bitterly cold one. Yeah, and, and folks, we're talking about a couple of degrees, and that's not a lot of change. And in fact, uh, we were out to dinner last night with uh, some of our Canadian friends, and they tell us that uh, for the first time that they've seen that all five of the Great Lakes froze over partly uh, this year. And, uh, uh, John, you were telling me the other day, and I actually went and looked it up on one of the satellite uh, websites, that the polar ice cap has grown by a half a million square miles. That would cover a good part of the southeastern United States. Is that what you guys are seeing when you, when you investigate this? Right. We look at the sea ice extent, landlocked glacial ice extent, as well as polar temperature trends. And it's interesting, you know, we, we routinely see and hear things from our government, the UN, and in the mainstream media about what's happening with the climate that are simply not true. Uh, the, the typical story of the Arctic sea ice is the sea ice is melting, we won't see it again, uh, polar bears are doomed because of the uh, rising temperatures in the Arctic and uh, uh, dwindling sea ice. But when you look at the data and when you look at the facts, you see that is simply not true. In fact, there's at least one report that shows we've got so many polar bears now because of global warming that occurred in the past that they're overpopulating in certain areas. So there, there are a lot of myths out there about what's really happening. And I've heard that polar bears do not make very good neighbors. So that may be a good thing if we can slow them down a little bit. But, uh, of course, the Russians and the polar bears are kind of closely related. Now, the the rise and fall of the sea level, uh, you know, I've been watching this, John, because we live on the water. And so I can see if the water levels are higher or lower. I can see it by the deposits it leaves on the uh, seawall and on where the, where the crustaceans are growing, uh, the, the mussels and all that. And, you know, the only time I've seen the water rise is when Al Gore jumps his fat butt into the ocean at the beach. Then it goes up. But other than that, I really haven't seen a whole lot of change. Uh, what, what are you guys measuring? I mean, I, who the heck does this anyway? Does somebody go down with a yardstick and dip it in the water? You know, I mean, it seems like nonsense to me, but what's your take on the rise and fall of the water level in the ocean? Well, uh, nonsense is a key word here. There is a lot of nonsense about the sea level rise, and you're absolutely right. Here in Florida, Al Gore's 
famous chart uh, or map showing 21 feet of sea level rise swamping most of Florida. Uh, this is typical of the scare tactics of the left and the environmental movement that are trying to uh, force Americans and everyone else around the world to bend to their will and to do things they wouldn't normally do because of the supposed threat of global sea level rise. Uh, myself and other scientists had a news conference uh, right outside of Miami, August the 21st of last year, where we actually announced the end of global sea level rise. This is based on a combination of uh, temperature measurements that we track showing the Earth's oceans cooling. The cooling of the oceans or the warming of the oceans is the number one factor on sea level rise. And that's why we had a fairly consistent sea level rise uh, for the last 200 years, because the sun has been warming during that period. But now that it has changed, uh, we forecast uh, global sea level rise to stop beginning this year and certainly by the 2020s. And by 2031, the, the bottom of the next solar hibernation, we'll be back to where we were 200 years ago on sea levels. Sea levels are heading lower. And that, uh, that is significant for those of us who do live on the water, uh, especially if you're in a port city and you got to get your ships in and out, or even if you're just a recreational guy and you want to get your, your boat off of your lift and, and into open water. So it's, gonna, it's going to affect this, even if it's minuscule, you know, a, a foot, a half a foot, that's going to change the dynamics of a lot of our shipping and trade and so we're going to have to think about this in the future uh, we're going to have to anticipate this in, for the future and think about it in the present and see what we need to do to uh, keep commerce going and uh, grow crops and do all the things that we need to do to support six to seven billion people on the planet by the way like it or not the world's looking at us i got to tell you john uh, my sisters they're all left-wing people god love them and one of my sisters is a nurse, and she's always telling me, well, the World Health Organization says this, Billy, and it says that, Billy. And do you, are you doubting the World Health Organization? Now, I, I think that there are really some good, sincere people uh, that see the World Health Organization as valuable, and they have done some good things, and in the same way with the weather and the climate. Uh, but I think that more importantly, the idea of the United Nations is to get people from all over the world together to work together rather than fight. Uh, so I'm not completely opposed to the UN and to all of the organizations that it spun off, but I will agree with you, John. It's, a, it's, it's really frightening that they can influence the entire population of the Earth uh, to that extent by using uh, incorrect data or <clears throat> scare tactics or uh, a, attempts to get more money coming in from donations or whatever. So uh, I can't argue with you about that. That's, that's a fact. And I'm sure that you've had your confrontations with some of the folks that work on the other side of the fence there. Well, no question. I, I believe when, uh, if you go back to, to when I first issued a press release uh, and then held a news conference in 08 declaring the end of uh, global warming, I was attacked by pretty much everyone uh, and from all sides, Bill, not just uh, the left or those who supported uh, uh, the environmental movement or the UN. Um, just about every sector 
attacked me and people like me who had been saying we need to follow the sun and not pay attention to this minuscule amount of CO2 that man produces. Um, so, yes, that's part of it, and I, I knew as soon as I had uh, completed my research that that would happen, and it always does. Whenever you confront the dogma, the establishment of the day, uh, and show they're wrong, you're going to get attacked. And, and eventually uh, everyone will look back and say, well, well, you know, we knew the sun was in charge all along. So well, sure, <laughs> hopefully we'll get to that point. That's human nature. That's that's the way we are, you know. And we also forget who actually did what. Uh, you know, we every generation has to rediscover George Washington. Uh, you know, every generation has to relearn the basics of science and math. And I think that's just just part of the human experience. But, but our job as uh, uh, scientists and physicians and uh, people in the public, radio show hosts, etc., is to try our best to present factual data and to uh, to corroborate that data with research and measurements, as you say, uh, not only from us but from other people all over the world, the Russians, uh, uh, the Chinese, whoever has the ability to do this research. i got a question for you, though, and this has always uh, bothered me. How do you take the temperature of the ocean? I mean, I can understand taking the surface temperature, but uh, is there a, a device that's dropped – uh, all the way to the bottom of the ocean, say to the Marianas Trench, and then it takes temperatures at different levels, different thermoclines, different layers of water. How does that work? The temperature of the oceans is uh, measured by thousands of oceanic buoys uh, that have been distributed uh, over the last uh, 20 years. We've been using satellite measurements prior to that, and then you've had the good old-fashioned thermometer going way back in time, uh, but uh, it is uh, fairly accurately measured now, and uh, we see that if you uh, chart all the temperatures out, you'll see the oceans globally have been cooling rapidly since 2003, uh, that the well, atmospheres have been cooling rapidly since 2007. And that's the surface temperatures of the ocean, though. That's not at, at great depths. Well, let's talk about that because, you know, uh, you mentioned the uh, CO2 going into the oceans and so forth. Uh, these are all natural cycles as well. But to measure the ocean temperatures, we measure it at the surface. We measure it down to 300 meters and down to 700 meters. Uh, many of these uh, state-of-the-art uh, oceanic uh, measurement buoys uh, drop a temperature probe down through these layers of the ocean and and then retrieve the temperature at these depths. What we need to know is what the temperature is of those top hundreds of meters uh, because that's what drives the atmosphere above it. That's what drives the storms and uh, ocean currents uh, near the surface. So those are the, the layers we need to know the most. We also We also measure the amount of heat content and those upper layers, not just the temperature. So we do have a pretty good idea of which way the oceans are going, um, and therefore, uh, if you know where, how the oceans are going, then you'll know how the atmosphere goes yep. because it follows. Exactly. And, folks, if you think about it, that's a couple thousand feet and up. And, again, we have to look at what's heavier, uh, cold or warm water. And 
cold water is a little denser and it will fall through the warm water and that creates some of the currents in the ocean. So we're going to assume that if we've got colder water temperatures in the top 2,000 feet, a half a mile, say, uh, then we're going to have even colder temperatures below that or this water would fall. And so that is how we make sense of this. And, and again, we justify this by saying that this is the layer that actually drives our weather changes. And again, it's the differential between hot and cold and also the rotation of the earth. So uh, that makes sense, John. That makes a lot of sense. But, I, you know, I'm still concerned about the CO2, and I really don't have a problem with uh, the government making uh, the power industries scrub out the carbon dioxide, and we need to, in my opinion, shift towards other energy sources, uh, whether it's nuclear or solar or wind. Uh, I think they're, they're all very viable <clears throat> if people will give them a chance. The cost is prohibitive for most of us, and, and unfortunate, too, in Florida, because we could sure take advantage of the solar aspects of it, but for a house my size, it's going to cost me twenty-five to $30,000 to convert it to solar. And I think that this is a good thing not only to reduce CO2 emissions, whether you believe they're causing weather changes or not, uh, but also I think that it will decrease our dependence on other oil-producing nations and we will be able to be more secure and certainly more uh, economically uh, viable as we go into the 21st, 22nd century. So <clears throat> I don't have a problem with, uh, with people saying that the CO2 uh, is uh, changing the, the ocean's pH. That doesn't bother me. Whether it's true or not, I think we need to hang on to that mantra so that we're not giving our money to Venezuela or Saudi Arabia or wherever it is doesn't really matter where it is. We need to produce our own energy. I think we're better at this now than we were 10 or 20 years ago. But uh, <clears throat> what do you think, John? Well, I think uh, what you're seeing is, the again, the results of or in product of 20-plus uh, years of man-made global warming propaganda. And one of the ways it has survived is to blend itself with very real issues like energy conservation, new energy development, alternative energy sources, uh, and operating under uh, the mask of those very real needs, and pollution is still a very real concern. But uh, uh, the mankind's CO2 production, again, is literally insignificant in the total picture. What the UN and our government has done is use the mankind's CO2 myth and the greenhouse gas myth as a tool to force us to do things we wouldn't otherwise want to do. But uh, again, to your point, uh, energy uh, is uh, a key for our future, everyone's future, no secret there. We should be exploring all avenues. Uh, I, I yep. think it would be great if we could all get off the grid and go solar or uh, tie in with wind. The problem with those is they're not as reliable as uh, centralized uh, uh, gas-powered or nuclear-powered uh, sources. Coal is a different issue. We know we've got problems with coal because it produces too much mercury, and mercury gets in our water. Right here in central Florida, for example, uh, the uh, Stanton coal-fired plant uh, east of Orlando has produced a lot of uh, energy for us, but it's also 
dumped a lot of mercury in the lakes uh, in Polk County. Uh, and so that's why there are advisories down there as to how much fish you can eat. Uh, that's a tragic situation. So that's what's driving getting clean coal or whatever that means. Um, but there are issues of pollution. There are issues uh, in the environment we need to be conserving energy on and developing new alternative sources. But again, mankind's CO2 uh, has such a small, insignificant impact that we should not be using that bad science to justify any of this. The justification stands on its own when you look at the energy needs without CO2. Well, I, I, you know, I think that it's not new for governments to try and manip manipulate the populace by uh, making claims that are not true but that will produce a desired outcome that uh, leaders think is important. Uh, and again, I say that uh, as a conservative and a hopefully a reasonably thoughtful fellow, that we do need to continue showing support for some aspects of this, if for no other reason than uh, it will afford us an opportunity to become more independent uh, energy-wise, financially, uh, and continue to be the number one producer in the world. You know, and it's, it's really amazing. I did a show on this a couple of weeks ago, John, that 500 million Europeans still cannot produce as much as 320 million Americans. The European Union, their gross domestic product, or gross national product, if you want to call it that, is still smaller than ours. That's pretty cool. Uh, you know, it says a lot about us as a people, but I want to see us continue on, and I think that we need to be skeptical uh, when we hear pseudoscience that says we're going into a global warming phase, like you say, but I also think we need to use the tools that are at hand. Uh, we have an organized government that can be influenced, and people can be influenced and alerted to problems. And probably the greater threat in my life to me is to be blown up on an airplane uh, rather than be uh, uh, swamped with seawater at my house here that's on the waterfront. So my greater concern is how do we keep ourselves uh, safe and how do we keep the production engine going so that we can continue to be the number one guy and gal in the world. And I don't see any problem with that. I think it's a good thing. I think that we have such a good balance of thoughts and ideas just shown by the fact that you and I can be on the radio talking about this. Uh, in some countries, you wouldn't be allowed to do that. You'd be taken out back and shot. So, again, I, folks, I think we need to utilize some of this uh, argument to try to uh, per persuade that part of the populace that doesn't believe that terrorism is a threat, that doesn't believe that uh, we're sinking into uh, an economic and social economic abyss. I think we're still on the top. We will be, and this is a good way to continue to push it. So that that's my soapbox for the day, John. If you've got some other soapbox, jump in, guy. <laughs> <laughs> Soapboxes are good, especially when the cause is just. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, just... Just as a, you know, somewhat subjective, but I agree with you. <laughs> uh, the the issue of um, what's happening with the climate, we we wrestled with that as a, a team of scientists, and uh, uh, we came up with uh, over a year ago uh, the Global Climate Status Report. If you go to our website, uh, www.spaceandscience.net, the word and is spelled out, spaceandscience.net, 
you can go to the page for the Global Climate Status Report, the publications page, and you can actually download that report. It's published once a quarter. And there you will actually see the charts, the data. You'll know what's really happening with the climate. It's the only authoritative independent quarterly report on the climate produced in the United States by scientists who know the facts, not the politically correct Al Gore version of the climate or the UN version, but what's actually happening. Anytime you want to talk about the climate, this is your one source to go to that tells you what's really happening. So I recommend uh, everyone take a look at that. Uh, my book, Cold Sun, uh, I think you can still get copies of it on Amazon, although a new publisher is picking it up and is going to uh, uh, reformat it and retitle it and uh, put a lot of uh, funding into it because the message is so important. Fundamentally, Bill, we've, we ended with global warming years ago. The trends for the last... Uh, 17 years, there's been no global warming growth whatsoever. And in fact, since 2003, the oceans have been cooling. Since 2007, the atmospheres have been cooling. And given what's happening with the sun, cutting back on its energy that keeps the earth warm, we are in fact headed into a new long cold era. So everyone needs to get educated on this cold era, get prepared for it. And uh, there's some sources for you, Cold Sun and the Global Climate Status Report that tells you all about the climate. John, uh, it was great having you on the show, buddy. We're getting near the end, and I want to thank you. And uh, it's John Casey, and he's with the, the Institute's name is the Space and Science Research Corporation. That's in Orlando. Wonderful show, and I'm sure that we'll have some positive feedback. Now, folks, I want to tell you this before I go, that I saw Al Gore before Congress, right after Obama got in, and the Congress, Democrats and Republicans were attacking him for his stands and his parlaying his uh, climate beliefs into money. And when they accused him of that, he said, well, this is the United States, isn't it? Can I make money? And I think that the bottom line is that a lot of this is uh, ill-directed, or money-hungry, or ignorance, uh, but whatever it is, it's not good, and, and we're going to do all that we can to promote what uh, John Casey has to say. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm always amazed at how quickly things change. And the polar ice cap growing by 500,000 square miles, about the size of the southeastern United States, in one year, in one year it grew that much tells me that the macro meteorologists who have been telling us these changes occur over decades, not over uh, millennia, uh, is, is really coming home to roost. So I, I'm, I'll be curious to see. I, I think I'm going to live long enough to see who's right, whether it's Casey or the environmentalists. <clears throat> right now I'm in Casey's camp. But we still got to address the CO2 in the ocean. That's another show. Uh, by the way, we are at WGUL 860 AM. And if you Google that, 860wgul.com, and you look and you look for the uh, the roster of, of shows and you find my show, there's a website there that the station has put up. You can click and you can get to my uh, archive broadcast. So, and I'm telling Chris to uh, please label those if you would, Chris. Make sure we have a name on them so people know what they're looking for and can find it easily. Again, I want to thank John. 
And I want to thank Chris for being so kind and helping me this morning, getting John Casey on the radio with us. Chris, you doing all right, buddy? All right, looks like I'm I'm out of here. You can have it. Play some music for me, buddy, and let's get out of here. Here we go now. What do you think about it? How about it, folks? How much will you give for it? hundred is a bit of bomb. Look at $200 now. Three, three, five hundred, seven. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.